Let's get this vaguely organized party going. Vaguely organized parties are the best. Yeah, I think they are. So we've got some we've got some actual follow up. Um, Alvaro, you kind of handled this on uh, on Twitter the other day. If you want to lead us into this, right? Uh, this is this has been a fun week because we've gotten a lot of feedback from listeners and uh, and and we've gotten some really interesting questions too. So I think we should just uh, get started on that. Okay, so first up, we got a really nice uh, suggestion on Twitter by Lucas Funk, uh, who is uh, at LukeFunk on Twitter. And uh, he said that for dealing with theft of gear, Lenstag is actually a pretty cool service. And you can find it at lenstag.com. And what it does is basically it's a worldwide database where you can register your gear. Uh, and so if you lose it, you can alert the community that your particular lens with your serial number is lost, is, is stolen, rather. And so if anybody tries to buy it, uh, you can when, when you go to a second-hand website on the internet, you can uh, often ask the people, the person who's trying to sell you their gear, uh, you can ask them for the serial number of the item they're selling. And the idea is that you can then compare that serious serial number, you can check it against the Lenstack database, and you can figure out if the if the item you're trying to buy is stolen or not. So that's actually a very interesting way to ensure at least that if you get uh, mugged and if you get your sto- your equipment stolen from you, it's a way to minimize the chances that the people who, who took it away can sell it uh, on the internet and, and make a profit off of that. And if there's no way to make a profit, then why would they steal it in the first place, right? So that's the whole thinking behind these, these types of services. And it's similar to what uh, is already in place for bicycles in many countries. For example, you can register your the serial number of your bicycle and and in theory, somebody will alert you if if they're trying to, to sell it on the internet. But I am a little bit skeptical on how well these services actually work in the real world. Right. Like at the end of the day, it, it doesn't locate your equipment for you. It doesn't give you the equipment back, right? It just tells you that somebody's trying to sell it. Yeah, the, for the whole thing to work, it, it's just predicated on, on you know, basic, decent human behavior. Right. And, and I wish that that was, uh, you know, a reliable, <laughs> a reliable thing to trust, but uh, I'm just not <laughs> so sure. Yeah, and the problem is that, of course, the thief does not know that your gear is protected when he or she is stealing it from you. So unless you're yelling, no, no, wait, it's lens tagged. <laughs> um, it, it's just, I don't know. I mean, I have to, I remember when lens tag first emerged and I took a quick look, but didn't end up um, signing up and, and registering any of my gear. Now I'm probably going to go back and, and do that. But um, I, I really have to dig in and try and understand how, uh, how it, works in an ideal scenario, like what their um, process is like, because I feel like maybe I'm misunderstanding something because like you guys are saying it, I'm just, I'm skeptical of the success rate. Um, right. Just given the fact that there, there seems to be um, so much that's um, at the mercy of um, someone else who has just spent money to buy your stolen goods and they're just going to return it. Like it just, it, it's right. Yeah. Uh, it, <sighs> right. I think these services work very well, uh, assuming they operate at, at massive scales. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. So if you assume, if it reaches the point where everybody, every photographer in the world is using Lenstack for their gear, then it, it will come to a point where thieves will just assume that 
any gear they try to sell is going to be tacked on Landstag, and so there's no point. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the end game. But uh, how, how likely is it that we're going to reach that point? I don't, I don't think very much. I don't. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult to say, but I, I do appreciate that someone is making a service like this. I think it's uh, it's it's good that it exists. It's good that um, if, if nothing else, it's an extra small layer of peace of mind. Um, you know, alongside things like equipment insurance and what we talked about in uh, in last right. week's episode. Um, yeah, and it's free, so you don't lose anything just by signing up, you know? Exactly, yeah, yeah. It's tiny, tiny hassle for potential great benefits, so you uh, you should totally do it. Like I said, I'm, I'm going to do so uh, this weekend because um, I've kind of, like, I knew it existed, I forgot about it, and then now that Lucas has mentioned it, I, I was thinking to myself, yeah, you know what, I should just, it's just because I should have my, my gear in there, so... Thanks very much to Lucas for uh, for bringing that up, for reminding us that it exists. Um, and uh, yeah, go go lens tag your gear, people. <laughs> yeah, definitely. What else do we got from Twitter this week? Okay, so we had uh, uh, Jonathan Peritsky uh, got in touch to me personally, but it was uh, related to an article that I posted uh, last Friday about the new Leica MD camera. Oh, here we go. Yes. Yeah, this is going to be a juicy one. Uh, so the Leica, the Leica MD is a new camera from Leica. It belongs to the M system, you know, just like the flagship Leica M262, I think it is right now. Right, yep. And um, the, these cameras are compatible with a huge uh, array of lenses from Leica, from size, from several other manufacturers. And they go back to the 40s, the 50s. It's a venerable system and it, there are some incredible pieces of glass. So that's part of the attractive of these these cameras. And uh, the idea was that what would a Leica look like if you removed everything but the essentials, right? So this new camera doesn't have an LCD screen, for example. It doesn't shoot video. It doesn't even shoot JPEG, for that matter. So this is a very peculiar camera, and it's not going to be for everyone. But then again, like as usually aren't. So, uh, the, the, But the problem is that this is a $6,000 camera. It's not like it's cheaper than the regular M, the full-featured M. If anything, it's more expensive. And that's where it kind of breaks down for me. But what I wrote about in the article is that uh, one of the things that I believe is not right about this camera is that they have implemented a new ISO dial and they've placed it on the back plate of the camera, which is where you used to find the old ASA dials on film Leicas. And, well, you, I guess uh, we'll link to my article on the, on the show notes so that you can read it if you want. But the gist of it is that this is a design that works very well for film cameras because on those cameras you just set the ASA uh, once per film roll, and you kind of forget about it until you change to a different roll. So that's a it's a parameter that you only need to adjust occasionally. So it, it doesn't need to be on a very convenient place, uh, you know, on the camera. But the ISO dial on a digital camera is nothing like that. You actually need to adjust it very frequently. So that's... Mm, I, I, I just feel like the analogy breaks down between the analog technology and the digital one, it doesn't work. The same design doesn't work for both uh, types of camera. And related to that, uh, we, uh, Jonathan and I kind of started arguing on Twitter. Well, not arguing, but just, uh, you know, talking about it on Twitter. Friendly banter. Yeah, friendly banter. And he said that, uh, how necessary is the LCD really, right? So he was, um, 
kind of saying that he gets why they would omit the LCD. And I get it too. But his question, you know, to, to be thorough, his question was, with Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and all of those features these days, are LCDs that really, really that necessary anymore? And I totally get where it's coming from. But I'm curious to see what you guys think about it. I don't know. I like. I think I said this earlier, but um, if you hook up any current camera to a smartphone, like the experience is is less than enjoyable. I've never had an enjoyable experience, um, you know, between Olympus and Sony in my experience. I've never enjoyed hooking up my, uh, connecting it via Wi-Fi or Bluetooth right. to my smartphone. And it's always been, I don't know, it, yeah, it's always been laggy. It's never been worthwhile. So I've just given up on it. In fact, I haven't hooked up one of my cameras. I've never even tried the Sony system, to be honest with you, because of the bad reviews. So Right. But let's, let's, let's take a step back, if, 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 if I may. What do you use an LCD for on a modern digital camera? You can use it as a sort of an, an alternative viewfinder to compose as you're shooting. That's a very popular use for many cameras, especially low-end cameras that don't have a dedicated uh, viewfinder. So that's one use. But then you can use it uh, to review your images or to operate the menus and controls of the camera. Those are, I would say, the three main uses for LCDs on modern cameras. So... Uh, the smartphone one that you mentioned right now, I believe, applies to using the camera as sort of a viewfinder. Okay. The, the, the LCD as sort of a viewfinder. And previewing images, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, those two. So, but technically, you could use just the, the built-in EVF for that reason, right? So, it's not like the LCD is completely essential. It's not that it's necessary. I mean, you could live without it. It's always better to have it, of course, but you could live without it. Okay, I guess I could live without it. <laughs> <laughs> but for the other usage, the the whole menu and settings and all of that, I don't know how you can get away without an LCD, really. Yeah, and, there are, and Leica's argument will be that you don't need to have a menu system. The essentials of photography mean that you don't need a menu system. Exactly, but the cost of not having a menu system is that you need dedicated hardware controls for every possible feature on the camera. And that implies, you know, getting rid of many features that are not, okay, they're not essential, but they're very handy, like, for example, video recording. I mean, I don't, there's just no way I would buy a digital camera today that uh, doesn't allow for video recording. Yeah, so essentially, do we need a, a screen to answer the question? I, like, I 100% think yes, I, I do, but um, my opinion doesn't necessarily. What do you think, Marius? Marius, what do you think? Uh, you know, it's, I think I could probably live without it, but it would have to be on a camera that allowed me access to, um, the controls that I actually adjust a lot. So things like, um, I mean, and actually this is, goes back to the way that I tend to shoot, uh, my Fuji cameras because they've got physical controls for, um, most of the key, well, basically all of the key, um, image composition controls. I actually leave the LCD off, um, all the time because first of all I find it distracting um, and also I don't need it in order to look at the uh, camera settings or adjust them and the EVF is uh, definitely sufficient for me to do the basic image review of making sure that you know my my exposure is the way that I want it to be 
Um, it also helps me stop chimping after every single shot, which is right. something that is very tempting to do um, in a digital system. And my suspicion is that by um, omitting an LCD, Leica is trying to... Um, they're trying to push the opinion that you shouldn't really do that. I mean, they they do tend to have a um, an opinionated design philosophy in general. Uh, and, and so it's not entirely surprising to me that they would put a camera like this out onto the market. But I agree with you in the sense that it does seem um, very expensive given the trade-offs that have been made to... Uh, you know, to put it out the way that it is today, like uh, removing features, removing certain things. I, I would be okay with that if there was a corresponding drop in price. And I think that would actually be valuable to them from a marketing perspective as well, because they could have positioned this as an entry level M camera where you're really buying the essentials of photography, not videography, nothing else, like literally just the, the, entry level into their photography world and it gives you everything you need to take great photographs and then if you want to pay for an lcd if you want to pay for whatever then you can step up the m line to one of their more fully featured cameras but they didn't do that they, they basically priced it as an equivalent um which is strange because or even more expensive, right? Or exactly, or even more expensive. So it becomes this kind of philosophical difference between it and and its cousins in the family, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And I think that um, obviously their their sales numbers are going to uh, are, are going to determine whether or not they were right to make this this choice. But it's a camera that um, right now is not tempting to me, and it's not because of the features that it's missing. It's it's literally because of the cost. I think if this was priced more reasonably, it would be a camera that I would be a lot more curious about. I think Leica have a different philosophy when it comes to pricing products. So in their mind, I mean, first off, I, I absolutely agree with you. I do believe this should be a cheaper camera than it is, uh, because you're getting less for your money, basically. But in their design room, I think they can afford to step out of the real world for a little while and they can think of this new camera not necessarily of it uh, you know as an entry model but they might actually think that this is a better camera that by removing features the end result is better and if it's better why should it be cheaper right it's true yeah and, and i do uh, this is why i'm um in terms of them having an opinionated design philosophy, I think they look at this as the purest camera right. in the M lineup. It's exactly because of that, because they they have removed everything that they consider to be um, inessential to the experience of photography. And what's left is um, an extremely focused device. Uh, and and I think that that's, again, there's value in in that philosophy. And it's, it's almost like... Um, it brings to mind Amazon's Kindle lineup in general, because those are devices where at the top end, you're getting, um, you're spending as much money as you would on a tablet for a device that's designed to do exactly one thing very well. Um, and that's why I think it's difficult for Amazon to sell those as well, because you're thinking, okay, well, why would I pay the same amount of money for something that does a whole lot less than an iPad mini? And that's, you know, that becomes more uh, of an individual decision. And this kind of camera is the same thing. Um, the difference, I think, is that unlike a Kindle, where we're talking about a difference in price of $50 or $100, um, here we're talking about thousands of dollars uh, in difference, which which is 
uh, I think it's enough of a of a gap to make it a lot less um, a lot less easy to discuss. Like it's not it's not a matter of oh well I can justify this because it's just a little bit more and it's a pure experience. And uh, I think it's very difficult to be in the exact target range of this camera where you're able to value that purity so much that it's worth thousands of dollars to you. Um, right. And the other side of it, which I believe it was someone on, um, it was an article that I read. I don't remember whose it was now. Let's see if I can find it for the show notes, but someone pointed out very wisely, I think that, um, there's also an element of self-control here. Like the alternative is not that, oh, I guess I'm stuck with the LCD. It's like every camera out there allows you to turn it off. So really the question is, is it worth me paying $4,000 more for my camera because I don't have the self-control to turn the LCD off? <laughs> right. That's an excellent point, actually. And I, I, uh, I understand the philosophy behind the camera. And I, even though I don't share it myself, like I would never buy this camera, but I understand uh, where they're coming from, and I respect it. I think if you're at a place in your life where you can afford to buy a Leica camera, uh, there's a legitimate case that this one might be the most appealing to you, and uh, I have no problem with that at all. Uh, what I have a problem with is that I don't think this is a well-designed camera, and that's what I ranted about on the PC the other day. Uh, if this had been exactly the same camera with but with a better design i wouldn't feel as strongly about it as i do i would just say okay if you if you think you can you can live with this camera then all the power to you but what bothers me is that they're releasing a, a, an extremely high end product that is just not that well thought through in my opinion and of course, there's a there's a certain amount of wiggle room here because different people will have different opinions on this. Yeah, and for example, I don't agree with um, your verdict on the ISO dial. Um, I, I mean, I think that given the constraints of their rangefinder design, there's only so many places you can put an ISO dial that makes sense with their aesthetic um, philosophy as well. And to me, honestly, that ISO dial is not placed poorly because while yes you have to adjust it more than you would on a traditional film camera's asa dial um that placement is still reasonable to me like i i don't know where else i would have put it that would make it better or less awkward or anything like that it just doesn't seem to make a tremendous difference um either way from from my perspective so that i don't mind the design and i do appreciate that they they didn't um apparently anyway i mean i haven't tried it but they haven't skimped on the material aspect of it so you're still getting the the full legendary build quality of the m series cameras and everything like that um so for me it's not a design problem it is a pricing problem and it's more of a obviously this is a business decision for them but if uh i i think given their place in the market today and and how um how difficult it is to coast on um, goodwill from decades ago forever, I think it would behoove them to start pricing at least something um, in a way that welcomes the consumer into the Leica family, even if it's something... Cause, I mean, right, that's the Leica T, right? I suppose so, yeah. I mean, I think that the T is as close as they've gotten to that. It's, it's as <laughs> close as they're willing to get, probably. Um, but it would have been nice to see an M body that uh, 
that fit that mold, right? Because the T is a different system, uh, which right. is, I guess, a different way of approaching that problem. But, uh, you know, I, I just think it would have been nice to have this camera at maybe half its current price. And that would have opened up, I think, a bigger audience for it. I, I mean, I, I really do think that, like you said, philosophically, there are definitely appealing things about a camera that is this laser beam focused. And I think there's a lot of people out there who would buy it. But I don't know that there are that many that can afford it at this price. And that's what bothers me about it because I think that they could have, um, I could have, I think they could have sold more, frankly, if they just priced it differently. Right. Definitely. Definitely. Well, I'm on Alvaro's side. I think that that ISO dial is stupid to be blunt. <laughs> it's just stupid. <laughs> it's, Tell us what you really think, Josh. I think the pricing, the pricing is, is, is not smart at all in any sort of stance. Like I've always had it a Leica at the top of my bucket list as a, as a, photographer. I just think like the aura of Leica, I, I want it at some point or another. This camera, even if I had a bajillion dollars, I would never buy it. I, I don't understand. I don't get it at all. And the ISO dial just makes it look like a cheap toy. So boom, I'll lay the smack down on it right now. Oh, there you go. Not that I have any reasonable argument against it. I sure I get the ph philosophy of it as well, but um, yeah. I hate it. I think it's awful. <laughs> I don't hate it. I, I I don't really hate it, but I I do think they could have done better. And uh, yes, the position of the ISO dial might not be terrible, but it's I think there are better places that they could have put it, and they could have gone the way Fuji does, for example, right? Like how is, how exactly does it work on a, on the X Pro Two, Marius? I believe it's a the same dial uh, can uh, lets you change two different parameters. Is that it? Yep, it's the uh, it's built into the shutter speed dial, and basically there's an outer ring that lifts up, and when you lift it up and turn, then you're adjusting ISO, and when you turn the whole dial, you're adjusting shutter speed. Right. But there's no reason they couldn't have done something like that, and uh, or something else entirely. I mean, I'm not a designer. I don't know what possibilities are there, uh, but I just think using the exact same design that the original. M camera from 40 years ago had is a little bit lazy. I'm I'm not going to say bad, but it's a little bit lazy. Yeah, potentially. I, 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 I'm not willing to be that critical of it because I think that they do have uh, some incredible designers on staff and they probably did. I mean, Fuji also, I don't know if you guys have seen, but um, the pre-production prototypes of the X-Pro2 had all sorts of wild, um, like, alternative options for where the ISO dial was going to go and how it was going to look and operate, um, like some really crazy, clever ideas. Um, and they determined that this current one was, was the best one, but I think there are a lot of trade-offs to be made because you have to, you have to see how photographers actually use the dial or don't use it. I mean, I know that the ISO dial for me is one that I touch, um, very, very infrequently. Like I really don't need, um, quick and immediate access to it all the time because it's just not a parameter that I adjust as often as some of the other ones on the camera. Um, but I, I, I do think that they made the decision, um, conscientiously. I mean, it was, it was something that they, they probably argued about, I would imagine. Um, and there was also for them, of course, the angle, like, yes, maybe it's not super practical to use, um, the placement that was on a camera that's 40 years old. But on the other hand, so much of their appeal is built on the fact that they have this timeless 
look and timeless um, aesthetic to them. So the fact that they managed to keep the camera looking the same while updating the functionality is actually pretty clever. Um, so I do I do think there's arguments on both sides for it. But like I said, for, from my own um, for, for, for my own uh, needs, it's the problem that I have with the MD is not um, its design. It's just the price. Um, for, for, yeah. So there you go. But then I get I get I guess that's the biggest problem that most people have with Leicas. And we have to remember that uh, we are not the target audience, <laughs> essentially. Certainly not. Um, right. So, so like I'm reading it, I'm reading this Reddit thread about the MD and I, like I'm just about ready to roll over off my chair laughing. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, <sighs> again, it's, it's easy to be critical of these things. And I think that Reddit is particularly vicious uh, when it comes Naturally. to, uh, when it comes to most things, but, um, yeah, it is a polarizing camera. It takes some imagination. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, if you want to see some imaginative criticism, that is the place to go. We'll uh, we'll link the thread that that we're looking at. It's it's pretty funny. Um, but buried in the the humor is, I think, some very valid criticism. Um, but again, I think that the problem is ultimately the people who are criticizing it are just not the target audience for the camera. So like a just shrugs, like they don't care. It's not our. But like, it, who is the target audience? Like, that's my question. <laughs> I'm not going to make a dentist joke. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's not us. That's pretty much all that we can say definitively. Uh, but like, I think that's my, that's why I, I came across so like blunt before, like why I hate it. Like, I just, I'm trying to imagine like this, you know, average, this fake person out there who could possibly buy this camera. And I, I just don't know who, what could possibly drive you? Well, it might be you in 20 years. Me in 20 years, I, but the Leica M is still better. Like the current non-MD models are... That's what you think now, right? Well, the regular M is cheaper, isn't it? It's cheaper with... Get, that gives you the exact same quality. You can shut everything else off and you're done. And it's not like it's overflowing with superfluous technology. You know, like the regular M was a pretty streamlined camera already. No, it's already old and dated. Right. So like, I, I just don't understand who would possibly buy this camera, like anybody, unless it was a joke. I really, I honestly will say that if it's a joke, um, that some dude with way too much money has cool, but yeah. Okay. Rant over. Well, the weird thing is that they released, uh, they released a very similar camera to this one a couple of years ago and it was a limited edition and that was that one was, I believe, even more expensive than this one. So they probably tested the market that way and they saw that there was demand for it. And that's why they've released this one, right? A demand for jokes? <laughs> <laughs> that's something that I wanted to bring up because I, I suspect that that's exactly what happened. They, they had this crazy idea some years ago and they released it as a special edition, but they saw that there was enough demand for it that they could justify actually making uh, you know, a mainstream production. That's the target audience collectors, people who want every single Leica. I bet you money. They sell less than a thousand of these. I don't know. I shouldn't say bet you money that let's, let's leave that off the record, but holy <laughs> smokes, ready to roll my eyes over here. <laughs> so we were talking about the, uh, the cheapest Leica M camera that you can buy. And my gut was telling me that it would be a film Leica M because they still release, they, they still make and release uh, film ends. And uh, I'm just looking here on BNH Photo, and 
the cheapest film Leica M camera that I can find is a little over $4,000. So it's not like the film ones are cheaper, really. Yep, yep, that's true. No, and, and that's, I think if anything, you, you've got to give them credit for being very consistent with their pricing. Like they really don't have much of, right. a, of a spectrum within the, uh, within the M lineup. It's, it's, everything is pretty much clustered in the same price zone right. um, with minor variances. Because I think ultimately in that price range, um, if you have the kind of money to be spending on a camera like this, then it does become a question of what particular arrangement of features and functionality do you want. Um, and that's why I was saying that right now for us, um, it, it wouldn't make sense. Like something like a um, an MD just doesn't seem appealing. But assuming that we had the money to buy any M camera that we wanted, and we've, uh, you know, maybe we've been photographers for 20 years and we we feel like we've finally earned enough money to justify it and it, we just want a purchase that's that's going to be fulfilling um, and that's really dedicated to just the experience of photography rather than necessarily having to have it participate in our in our work or anything like that at that point i may well be tempted by a camera that is not capable of shooting video doesn't have any superfluous um, features on it and and that's why i'm saying like i'm not ready to dismiss the camera um, out of hand because it requires me to put myself in a different person's shoes to try and look at this from a different perspective. But when I look at it from mine, it's crazy, right? Because I can't afford any of them. And I, it's frustrating to me that someone would charge so much for something that on paper seems worse. But that's not really the the right outlook on these cameras. And that's why I think Leica manages to succeed despite our skepticism, because they do have enough of a clientele um, that is looking at it from a different um a different perspective with different goals and honestly there are fewer of them but i think when you sell products at this price that's fine right because they're not the kind of people who are making up um profits on volume like they just make a profit on each sale and that's the way that they run their business and i, I think that's fine um my, my only concern is that a lot of that for now is built on the prestige of their brand and i'm not sure that that's strong enough to carry them into a future where these other brands like Sony are going to be delivering um, the same or better image quality for significantly less money. That's where I think Leica has to just keep an eye on on the market and be ready to react to it if uh, if need be. They might not be there yet, but I'm just saying, as a you know, with my business hat on, that would be my concern, and that's why I would like to see a true Leica camera that is priced. So that when someone is saying, hmm, I wonder if I should buy a Sony A8 or this Leica, that's actually a fair comparison. Exactly. Okay. Agreed. I think the troubling part is that while their brand, their brand is still, uh, you know, fairly solid these days, uh, I, I do have a feeling that it's diluting over time. And that's only going to get worse. I think they, they need exactly what you what you just said, Marius, I think they need to release a camera that brings the whole world together in saying, okay, this is a Leica that, that, that actually makes sense. And the Q was that camera for many people. Uh, not, not for me personally, but there were many people who loved that camera. And that was, I believe, a step in, in a reasonable direction, just like the SL is a, is a fantastic camera, judging by the look of it. So uh, it's it's a bit it's a bit uh, concerning when I see them 
release cameras that I think are taking them in the right direction, and then I see them release a camera that is the complete opposite of that. And that's, I don't know, I think they're lacking focus a little bit. It's not it's not easy, of course. Yeah, I actually think that the Q is a perfect camera for them right now. And um, I, I really look forward to actually working with it because everything I've heard leads me to believe that it's it's kind of the camera that, that I was hoping they would make. Um, and it is, I believe it's close enough in price to like the Sony RX1R Mark II that the two of them are actually competitors, which is great. I mean, that's that's what everyone was hoping for, I think. Yeah, fair enough. We were having this conversation on Slack, right? And you, I had said that that was the perfect camera. I forgot entirely about the Q. You're right. It would be a really, it's a great, great uh, competitor to the, the RX R12. Is that right? RX R12. Yeah, right. Oh, RX okay. Whatever. Mark two. Yeah. There you go. See, uh, at least they, at least they do naming right. Like a Q. That's it. You're <laughs> there. We go. Yes. Right. There we go. Tell you what, though, after looking at the price of the M cameras, the Leica T is looking like a bargain. It does. I, th that price has dropped significantly over time. Hey, it must not be selling well. Didn't it start at two thousand dollars? The T. Oh yeah, it did. Right now it's at sixteen hundred or so. Yeah, with a lens, right? No, body only. Oh okay. You can get them for way cheaper on eBay. <laughs> and they're all like. I'm just looking at it at uh, at one of our local retailers here at, at Henry's. It is selling for twenty seven hundred dollars for the body. Oh, Canadian pricing. Oh, but that's Canadian dollars, right? Okay. Yeah, that's Canadian pesos. pesos. <laughs> I, I was talking about actual dollars. Yeah, I right. Know. Not our monopoly money over here. <laughs> what else is on the news top news uh, schedule this week? What do we got? Uh, well, we've got a little bit of, uh, of Fuji news clustered in here. Um, the Verge finally published their review of the X-Pro2, which, um, frankly, I was surprised that they actually waited this long. Um, I don't know if that was just a, a quirk of their publishing schedule or if they actually just decided that they're going to do camera reviews more patiently, but it reminded me a lot of what we were talking about last week about how uh, it's important when reviewing products to actually spend enough time with them that you're not um, succumbing to the uh, initial biases of uh, the, you know, the honeymoon period where you've got it for the first two weeks or so. Um, but it, I, I liked the review. It was very solid. Um, you know, it was, was nice to see their take on it. Um, and we also saw a piece of news from, uh, Fuji and, uh, Tiffin, which is a company that makes, uh, or, well, it's well known for their filters. Um, but they're joining forces to make a bag, which is very strange. It's, it, there's a lot of brands involved here and I'm not entirely certain how it works, but it's Tiffin and Fuji joining forces to make a variation on a dom key bag. <laughs> Um, the circle goes round. <laughs> it's very confusing. But anyway, oh, it's, yeah, it, yeah. I mean, the, those bags, those bags are very um, popular among photographers. They're one of the the older sort of classic um, photography bag brands, and so I guess these are like special editions that are optimized for the uh, for the Fuji X series, uh, which is cool. I mean, I think that's that's a very interesting partnership. Um, from what I've seen so far, the images of the bags themselves they don't look especially attractive. Um, to me, at least not in the colors that they're showing them in. Um, but I, I reserve judgment until I actually see them. Yeah, it looks standard. You know, fair, fair, fair bag. Not like 
drop dead amazing yeah i mean it's it reminds me a little bit one of them at least reminds me a bit of the uh, think tank retrospective in terms of overall look um you know sort of intentionally more drab and more understated which again is great as a travel bag that's kind of what you what you want fairly priced too it looks like 150 bucks 230 bucks yeah like that's that's right there in in normal you know premium bag territory it's not crazy expensive so yeah it's it's an interesting thing in any case i didn't see it coming like this was i saw the headline and i was like what wait i didn't even know that tiffin and fuji were friends and now it's the bag it's yeah so there you go big happy family and then there was another piece of fuji news uh a gentleman by the name of marius masala i don't know if you guys have heard of him never heard of him he published a review of the x70 yeah that's the thing that happened i wonder if he could hear us well, what would he say about that? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think he listens to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, pro- probably not. Probably not. He's way out of our league. Impressive work. I kind of want an X70 now because of this guy. This guy. <laughs> so do I, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I realized I realized that I kind of missed the little thing. Um, it, it was very nice to have uh, a, a camera with the Fuji sensor that I love so much that's actually pocketable. Um, so yeah, it, it was it was nice. I, I think this this review was just um, I, I was waiting on it for quite a while, and uh, I, I finally sat down and just you know hit publish um, again because I like to make sure that I'm not just speaking from a place of clouded judgment um, while I have it. So anyway, yeah, it's it's out there. It's uh, I think if you are looking for a camera like this, um, you can't really do better for the price. Um, and I, I talk about some specific camera comparisons in the review, but, um, and I think we actually also compared it on our second episode. I was talking about how it compares to the X100T, um, cause that's back when I was actually shooting with it still. Um, it has since gone home to Fuji, but, um, yeah, yeah, that was another piece of news. It's like a great option. Well done, man. Well done. Yeah. I love the review and looks like a really sweet camera. No doubt. If I were in the market for a a uh, fixed lens camera it would be either this one or the the rx1 r2 so then why okay like let's dive into this Alvaro, because it's fairly well documented that you don't like the q the leica q so right. what why i guess we're talking like the rx1 r2 would have a better like a higher res sensor so like you can use that argument and the x70 is way cheaper so you can use that argument but let's, like aside from those two why these two compact cameras over the Leica Q? Well, for me, it's uh, I value focal length more than I do resolution or even the size of the sensor. Oh, right. That's also a difference. Fair. So I'm a 35 millimeter kind of guy. So between the, the, the two fixed lens 35 millimeter cameras that are currently on the market would be the X100T or the Sony RX1R2. And between those... Since there's not a huge size difference uh, between them, I would probably go with the Sony. So that was my thinking there. And if I were to go 28 millimeter, uh, then I would pick the Fuji instead of the Leica because because of price, price right? mainly right. the price, of course. Okay, fair, fair. What about the Ricoh GR? That's a fair. It's it's an interesting uh, alternative. Definitely, but I feel the original GR is already a bit long in the tooth. And uh, the second version, unfortunately, didn't bring any meaningful improvements. Uh, so it kind of, uh, I, I kind of lost a little bit of interest in that one. 
Yeah, fair enough. I, I actually think that you both of you guys would actually probably have a very good time with uh, with the X100. Um, uh, it, it's just it's such a it's such a charming little camera. It's difficult to describe exactly why, but it's really very fun to shoot with. Um, it's it's exceedingly good um, optically and in terms of performance. And uh, I, I think it's also um, again, like you said, that the thirty five millimeter um, is just a more common field of view it's it's something that people are a little more used to shooting at the 28 mil takes some getting used to yeah it certainly is a little wider hey yeah but it's funny because that's that's you know we say that but people who are going from a smartphone to a camera they're actually used to the wider perspective so for them that's a more natural transition um which is just it's just in, an interesting observation um but yeah i, I think uh, for me as well i'm, I'm more uh, comfortable at 35, but I've become fonder of wide angles as I um, as I've shot with the uh, the X70 and as I've been shooting with uh, wider angle lenses on the on the X Pro 2. I think it's just a different um, a different way of shooting. But as I'm getting used to it, I, I understand the appeal. Cool. So, do you guys? I think we were kind of half joking at one point about kind of nailing down what our ultra like ultimate ultra portable camera would be and we, we were kind of joking about it earlier before we started recording about maybe a hundred megapixel sensor and you know ten thousand shots in the battery and so on but let's like do you think we should be more and it needs to work well as a paperweight right yeah <laughs> and a weapon, and a weapon. <laughs> but like should we dive into that or like do we have enough time to dive into that or yeah, I think that's a nice way to wrap up. Excellent. Because realistically, like it's it's the uh, we've all kind of bought into a new system here in the last six months to a year, and we're all kind of in that weird area where we don't have any gear lust, like major gear lust. At least I don't. And but this is the one area where like I'd love to upgrade and make a make a purchase. I don't think I will, but it's just to make sure uh, by compact camera you mean a fixed lens camera. Um. I guess, yeah, that is a kind of arbitrary way of, I, I, well, that might be a question that might, that might actually be something that we decide upon. Like, does it have to be fixed focal length or can it be, um, can it be, have a zoom lens on it? Because there's, there's trade-offs either way, right? Obviously, if you've got a zoom lens on it, either the aperture is going to be a lot slower, the camera is going to be a lot bigger. Um, so, right. But I didn't mean fixed focal length. I I mean, I meant fixed lens, like that you can't. Oh, like literally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, let's do that. Let's say that because all of the ones that I have in my head are all like, a, you know, a fixed lens. Okay, fair enough. You know, if I'm thinking about like the X100T, the Q, the Sony RXR12, one R2, RX one R2, one R2. Jeez, Louise. Which one is the closest one to your ideal camera? Let's start there. The closest one to the ideal one would be the Sony camera, solely solely because of the the dynamic range. Okay. But it's expensive. And it's got horrible battery life. So if I could improve those two, it would come down in cost and would have better battery life. Now, I, obviously, I can't have everything under the sun. But that would be my ideal, like pretty close to my ideal camera. It's got a 35 millimeter lens, a really good one at that, right, F2. Um, yeah, that would be pretty close to my ultimate camera. What about ergonomics? Do you like that? Or? Um, it's... To, from just outside looking in, it looks light enough that it would just be strapped around my neck with a, a neck strap or whatever. Um, it would be for snapshots at the most on a on a trip or something like that. I don't think ergonomics would matter too too much for me on this one. I've always thought that that camera has a super bulky lens for such a tiny body. 
and that might not be a problem you know while you're using the camera but for storage I can't imagine it being very comfortable you know to hang that uh, on your neck and walk with it bumping on your chest is it pretty heavy like I I, I haven't compared the size with anything yeah, it's else. probably not about the weight but the yeah, I just know the shape of it. It's just, it seems unbalanced. And it, I don't know if it is really because I have never actually held one in my hands, but uh, it, it just looks weird. Um, I think that you guys might be surprised by the way that it feels in the hand because the lens does look disproportionately large, but the body itself is so heavy that it actually balances perfectly. So it's, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting feeling camera. It's difficult to get a sense of it because if you've held like the, uh, the RX 100 or something like that, that feels a lot lighter. Um, the RX one R, um, is heavy. Like it just, you, you, you really, really feel the build quality there. Yeah. It's, I mean, I'm saying heavy, not in the sense that like your arms are going to hurt, but it's, it's a hefty camera. It's very dense. Um, and it balances very nicely in the hand. Um, and uh, again, just to be clear, this is from my experience with it in a store. I don't, I don't own one. I've not shot with one. I'm looking forward to doing so. But I just, you know, from from early experiences in in a store, it's uh, it feels different than what I was expecting it to feel like. I suppose. So it's is it smaller? It's smaller in size than the, than the X100T, correct? Yes. Well, in terms of actual camera size, yes, but I think the lens protrudes ever so slightly further than the X100T. I, I would have to measure them because I think it's pretty close, but I, I just off the top of my head, that's the impression that I got is that it's just a little bit um, longer, the lens. Okay. So yeah, that's where I would stand on this argument. I think I, that's where I would be. What about you, Marius? Um, I think, I think the X100T is probably the closest to my ideal from those. Um, the, the RX1R2 is, uh, has a better lens and a better sensor, obviously, but I don't actually like the way it feels in the hand. I think it's a little too small. Um, and the, there's no real, um, grip, which for my hands makes it kind of uncomfortable to hold, um, for extended periods of time. It's not really, um, it just feels a little cramped. Everything is very tightly um, packed together, um, which I, is not great. Um, and I would rather, like, to be fair, I don't care so much that it's actually pocketable. Um, you know, to me, compact just means smaller than my main system, um, which which all of these are. So from from that perspective, I would rather that um, it be something closer to the size and and physical configuration of the X100T, which I think is comfortable. I think the grip can be improved on that one as well, but it's it's certainly more comfortable than the RX1. What do you think about the form factor of the Leica Q, like the physical form factor? Well, it's funny because the to me, the Leica Q is something like an RX1 that's been slightly inflated because it's still very smooth. There's still no real um, grip on the front, but it has that that really nice thumb um, valley on the backside of it, which which helps you balance the weight a little better. Um, it is heavy. Um, it's it's a very hefty camera. Um but I don't, I don't, I, again, I, I, I would have to shoot with it for a while to really understand how those ergonomics work out in the real world. But from, from a, an, just a quick impression holding it, um, it seems like to me, um, it's, it's just not quite as easy to, to hang on to as the X100T. 
Uh, on the other hand, the lens is better in terms of um, like focus adjustments and aperture ring. Um, it just it, it feels more um, robust. And actually, that's one thing that I I really really hope that Fuji considers doing with the X two hundred or whatever it ends up being um, is having like fixed stops on the um, uh, on the manual focus ring rather than having it be a focus by wire system. I really hate those, um, and I really really like it when a lens is actually you know, manual focus, the, the, the ring is, is, uh, is mechanical. So hoping for that. And on a fixed lens camera, there's no reason to have a focus by wire design really. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, I wonder if it's a cost thing for them. I, I'm, I'm thinking it must be something that it's, it's cheaper to manufacture that way or something like that. But either way, I, I really miss it on cameras that don't have it. And, uh, that's one of the most appealing things I think about the Leica Q is that you, you do have, proper mechanical focus and you've got that thumb tab just to make sure guys focus by wire means you you turn the manual focus ring it actually sends an electronic signal and the motor changes correct it's not a direct okay yep okay yep, yep. just to confirm yeah and it's quick like on on the x100t it's it's really a very responsive focus by wire system it's just not as direct as a mechanical one and the problem is that you can't um one of the things that people like about shooting with a Leica camera and the, the way that their manual focus rings go is that you kind of um, intuitively know that when the focus tab is in a certain position, you're focused at a certain range. And that's impossible with um, a focus by wire system because it's not like there's no there's no point of, uh, of reference for where the wheel is versus where the focus is. So, right. Um, Anyway, yeah, I think I think the X100T with the RX1 sensor and lens would probably be close to my ideal. I don't actually, you know what? Even the the Leica sensor is probably fine to me. I don't want um, like a 42 megapixel sensor in a compact body seems like overkill to me. Some serious um, raw huge files. Those are huge files. <laughs> those are like holy crap, right? I don't I don't know that I need that. Um it, it's it, Right, but let's not think about it in terms of megapixels. Let's think about it in terms of sensor size. Like the the X100T is an APS-C sensor. Yes, yeah. Whereas the RX1R and the Leica Q are full frame. Yeah. So would you be okay with having an APS-C sensor? in your ideal camera or would you rather push to have a, a full frame sensor inside? Yeah, I'd be fine with APS-C. I, I used to be a lot more bullish on wanting full frame, um, but nowadays I just it doesn't seem that important to me. Um, I think the, the quality of the sensor in terms of its dynamic range and its uh, color rendition and things like that in the, on the processing side are more important to me. So I, again, it's if it were full frame, that would be nice, but it's not, it's certainly not something that would make or break my decision. Like for instance, if they were to just put the, uh, the new X-Trans 3 sensor into the next body, which I expect they will do, um, I'd be all over it. That would be perfect. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. All right, Oliver, I'll bring it home. What do you got? Well, for me, the, the closest to my ideal camera is again, the Sony RX1R2 and things that I don't like about that camera. Well, first of all, the viewfinder, I don't really like the little oh, good point you know that they have it's a, you, you click and it pushes up it's normally hidden i'm not a big fan of that design because i think there's a very high chance that something's going to go wrong uh, at some point in the future and it's going to get stuck or whatever so i i tend to prefer a more traditional uh design when it comes to when it comes to my cameras 
And for example, if it was like the, the one in the A6000 or the A6300, which is placed in the same in the same position on the camera, but it's fixed. It's always there, and you can't. You don't have to do anything. I would prefer it if it if it was that way. Um, the rest of it, well, yeah, of course, the battery life. I would rather have a bigger battery inside, even at the cost of of having a bigger body. I, I think this camera is small enough that you could get away with increasing the grip a little bit and uh, and having uh, use that extra space for a bigger battery and I think that's that's very interesting. I'm not sure if the camera, if the second version has uh, image stabilization. I think it does, but I'm not completely sure. Uh, anyway, if it does, then great. If it doesn't, that's absolutely a must for me. And uh, other than that, I don't think that I would change much, really. I mean, the lens is exceptional, super sharp and contrasty as as size lenses usually are. And uh, I was surprised because I haven't really shot with it, but I've seen it, you know, on, on a store. And it's just so small. It, it Going back to what we were talking about, sensor size, it's hard to believe that they managed to put a full-frame sensor inside such a tiny camera. Yeah, it's crazy. Just as an engineering thing, it's, it's unbelievable. And that's why the lens, that's partly why the lens feels so out of place, because of course, being a full-frame sensor, the lens needs to be physically big enough to cover the whole sensor surface. So there's no way to make a, a full-frame 35mm 2 lens and have it be smaller. Yep. And, and <clears throat> so that's why, I, I don't know, I, don't, I think if they were to increase the, the size of the body just a little bit, not much, just a little bit, the overall package would be more balanced and it would get better battery life. So that would be a win for me. Yeah. Would you buy it at the current price tag? Um, you know, I would love to see a version of this camera with the A7 II sensor, like a 24 megapixel mm, sensor. Right. Because 40 megapixels or whatever, whatever the resolution is. 42. They did, like the RX1 was a, a lesser sensor, right? The RX1, just like, or like just straight up no R on there? Uh, no R, I think, was the same 24 megapixel um, sensor right. just without the, the low-pass filter. Uh, actually, that's another cool thing about the RX1 R2 is that it's got that variable low-pass filter thing where you can you have like three settings either on or sort of on or off, uh, which is really cool. Like that's, again, from an engineering perspective, it's an interesting way of doing it. It's kind of like the, um, the built-in ND filter on the X100T uh, you know, just something that you normally would have to have different hardware for is now just built into uh, the camera. Right, but it's it's kind of odd that they implemented these variable low-pass filter and it, they didn't implement an ND filter, which is a lot more useful on day-to-day -day shooting. I, I agree. Actually, that's one thing that's strange to me is that I, as far as I know, the X100T is still the only camera that has that um, built-in ND filter. I don't, I don't know why no one else does it. It just seems like such an obvious and, and useful thing to have. Um, yeah, I wonder if you lose something in terms of image quality to have that in there. Maybe. I mean, there must be some reason. Here's a funny question for you guys. Can you guess what the battery life rating is on the RX1 R2? How many shots it's rated for per battery? Isn't it like two, 225 or something? Or is it that might be high even? 220. Wow. Yeah, like hold down hold down the trigger for a little while, and five minutes later, the battery's dead. Yeah. 
I think I think the buffer will fill up long before the battery dies. Yeah, but true, but, forty-two yeah. megapixel files—that's not. Uh, but yeah, that's just crazy. They really need a new battery. Wow, and and this is a generalized concern with Sony cameras because every Sony camera that uses the same battery model, they all have pretty poor battery life. So uh, it's taken them too long to fix this issue and. They're going to eventually. I mean, they're not going to have a choice, but I wish they'd done it already. Yeah, I complained about it in the Fuji X70 review as well, because it's the same same kind of problem where they're they're holding on to a battery that's now like, I think, five years old, because it's the same. The X70 uses the same battery that the original X100 did. Right. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's getting long in the tooth. <laughs> what about flashes? Because some of these cameras has, have built-in little flashes that you can use, you know, when you're shooting out at night or whatever. Uh, do you think that's a must-have for you? Mm, I don't know. I'd almost rather have um, a compact, uh, separate flash. Like the uh, Fuji's got their little um, EFX20 or FX20 or whatever it's called, EX20, whatever it is. It's it's a really compact little flash gun that that sits on top of the camera and it really adds very little bulk, but it's significantly better than um, than using the built-in one. So I would. I would rather have that in almost any scenario than uh, than rely on the built-in flashes on cameras. Um, I don't know if it's just my technique, but I'm never really happy with uh, with what I get out of those. So f for me, if it didn't have it in the body, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be too bothered as long as there was an option for a compact, uh, like if it had a hot shoot, basically. Right. You know, the M5 Mark II comes with one of those, uh, just a compact. Uh, add-on on the top it's not built into the camera but you just yeah, slide it in yeah. off you go i really like that and it even has like you can direct the flash off of the ceiling or off i i really really like that little thing can you use it off camera uh no i don't believe so yeah, that's too bad. Uh, but it i mean for just for something that ships in the box i'm happy with it so i i would agree that i don't necessarily like built-in ones but something like that would be nice but i bet there's some cable adapter you can use you know, to sort of make yeah. the camera believe that the flash is mounted right onto the hot shoe, but in, in reality, you have it tethered. In all likelihood, you're right. Yeah, I was going to say any 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 remote trigger system will will allow you to do that, um, but it's another thing to, uh, to to buy and to carry around. Right. May as well just get a proper flash. Well, right. depending. I mean, it might still be more compact than a full size versatile flash gun, and it would be cheaper too. So there's there's arguments in, if you don't need the power of a flash gun, you just want a little bit of extra flexibility. It, it might actually work out better to have the small uh, the small one and then just get a, a flash trigger system. Right. Okay. So here comes the million dollar question, and I'm going to ask it to you, Josh, first. Uh oh. Um, let's say your ideal compact camera exists. Let's say uh, I think you said it was like having the RX one R two with a a nicer battery and all of that. Let's say Sony just releases the exact same camera that you want and that you buy it and you love it and it's awesome. Would that be enough for it to be your only camera on your upcoming trip to Europe? Would you feel comfortable taking only that camera with you for a three-week or four-week trip to Europe? Comfortable? No. Um, because I really want a telephoto uh, at least a short telephoto lens, 85 millimeters plus. Um, doable, yes. Um, I've been to, on trips to like New York or whatever, and I've only had a 40 millimeter lens, and that was really good. I enjoyed it. I didn't have that many opportunities, or there weren't that many 
things that popped up uh, that I needed a longer lens for, but there were some that I would have liked to have it for. So comfortable, eh, doable, yes. Okay, so then in what type of scenario would you use that camera instead of your a7 II? Um, everyday kind of stuff. So I uh, maybe take it to the office and I'm driving home one day and instead of having my entire camera bag with me, I've got just this small camera that I can shoot the beautiful sunset with. Or it's taking snapshots of my nieces and nephews in, you know, in the basement when they're taking when they're opening presents or something like that where I don't need like the full on uh, professional type kit. That's probably where I'm wanting something like this. Okay, fair enough. Does that answer the question? Yeah, yeah, it does. Perfectly. Or, or was this like a leading question to try and get me to slip up on something? <laughs> no, I was just you know. curious. Because to me, one of the main uses of these cameras is the travel photography realm. Right. And so I know right. that you guys both are are going to be traveling soon. And uh, I was I was just curious if the ideal combat camera existed, would it be enough for you to be the only camera on your trips? And uh, so what about you, Marius? You're also coming to Europe in the summer, so... If you had your ideal camera, would you take that with you and only that with you? Sure. Yeah, why not? I, I've I've done traveling before with just my X100T and I was perfectly happy with it. So I don't I don't see why I wouldn't um, if I had my ideal camera. Um, but for, for me right now, the interesting thing is that since getting the X-Pro2, I kind of don't miss having a compact camera. Um, I, 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 even though it's huge. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. We, we say huge, but I, it, it really doesn't feel huge to me when it, when I'm out and about shooting with it, you know, when it's in my bag, it doesn't feel like, um, a, a big camera. Um, and so I'm not especially tempted to get a compact camera because the whole weight size argument is sort of not relevant. Um, I would be like at this point, I would be much more tempted to just take the X Pro two with one lens right. and you sort of pretend that it's my fixed lens compact, uh, camera. It, it wouldn't be compact, but it the same idea. Like I don't, I'm not really feeling a, um, a, a, specific gap in my equipment that um that i think a compact camera would fill I, I appreciated having one and i think that if i were put in a situation where i was given just my ideal compact camera and told to go travel the world i'd be you know again totally happy with it no problem but right now i'm not clamoring to go out and buy a compact camera for the trip or otherwise because I'm just so happy with the way that the X-Pro2 handles in general. It doesn't feel like a bulky camera. It doesn't feel like I'm carrying this O-Pro system with me and now I, I wish I had something more casual to shoot with. Like that is my casual and pro camera and it just sort of straddles the line well enough that I'm, I'm, not, um, I'm not missing something smaller. Right. Makes sense. And you, Alvaro? Let's say you had a trip coming up to, I don't know, New York City, let's just say. Well, for New York City, I don't think I would be comfortable taking just a, a combat camera with me. And uh, I've sort of changed uh, over the years because I used to do that. I've taken four-week-long trips uh, you know, overseas with just my smartphone before. Uh, but that was before I got into photography. Now that I'm more knowledgeable, now that I am more... Uh, aware of the type of images that I want to pursue, not just document memories from the trip. Uh, I do feel like I need the peace of mind that comes with knowing I have all my gear with me. Um, and 
especially in, in, a, in a place like New York City because that's very dear to my heart. So I don't think I could pass on the opportunity to take my favorite lenses, you know, because you never know when you're gonna when you're gonna need them. And for example, if you go to the uh, Dumbo in New York City, the underpass, you know, on the what what bridge is is it, is it the Brooklyn Bridge? No, the Manhattan. The Manhattan. Okay. Beautiful. Uh, I oh, I shouldn't. I say that definitively. I'm 99% sure it's the Manhattan Bridge. Right, but you can get amazing pictures there with a telephoto lens, and that's something I would know before going. So that which is, uh, I, I wouldn't want to take the trip and not be able to take that picture. You know. Well, at least you could get something close if it was the RX1R Mark II that you had, because with 42 megapixels, there's a lot of cropping leeway there. It wouldn't have the compression of a telephoto lens, but I'm just saying you could you could kind of get the framing into a similar ballpark. Yeah, but I think what makes those images appealing is precisely the telephoto yeah. compression. Yeah, I hear you. Right, for sure. Because you can see the, I believe it's the Empire State Building from, you know, between the columns of the tree, of the bridge. Yeah. And it's incredible. It's a pretty cool picture. It's funny. I was just looking at the photo that I took a couple of years back with that my 40 millimeter lens. And I would have loved to have the, the compression of a telephoto looking back at it. Right. Um, right. So I couldn't agree more. Right. But for other types of trip, for example, if it was, I don't know, to a, a beach or something like that, that you don't really look for uh, for super long zoom shots uh, that much. I might be fine with with a camera like the RX One R Two. Yeah, why not? I think I think I could pull it off. It it would depend on how interested I am in exploring the photographic part of the trip. Let's let's put it that way. I feel like a camera that has certain limitations like that also um, makes you, in some ways, a, a better traveler or a more present traveler because you're. Again, we were kind of talking about this on the on the travel episode, but there's a distinction between being a uh, a traveler and a traveling photographer. And uh, having a camera that imposes certain limitations makes you um, work within them. And first of all, that's a creative challenge, and I think that it's one um, that's that's important for photographers to experience sometimes. Because when you have um, all of your ph photographic options with you, sometimes you're so um, stuck trying to make a, a lens choice or, you know, wondering about things that you forget to just work the scene. And sometimes you might miss an obvious opportunity that is, uh, you know, it's, it's right in front of you. So I think there's, I think there's value in limiting yourself to a certain extent, but you always have to balance that with the, uh, with the other side of it, which is of course you're in this, you know, place. It might be the only time you ever visit there. Um, you don't want to miss an image because you don't have the right lens to, uh, to, to get the shot that you want. Now, is it crucial to get that particular shot? Is there no other way that you could capture that moment? That's debatable. And that's where, um, you know, people have differing perspectives on the value of, uh, of, of differing focal lengths. But I think that, um, in, in general, having certain limitations, especially while traveling, um, is, is actually quite appealing. Um, at least for me, I find, I find it creatively stimulating to have a certain, um, box that I've got to work within and then try and figure out how I can think outside that box without actually relying on different equipment. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And it's liberating even. Yeah. And there's, there's something, there's something nice about having your camera system be, um, tightly integrated and it's just one piece that's all that you've got to worry about there's no like fiddling with 
bits that come off and what if dust gets in and blah 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 oh actually that's another thing whatever ideal camera um oh friggin weatherproofing man yeah that's gotta that's gotta happen <laughs> oh how does that how do we miss that <laughs> i don't know i just I, I said dust and i was like wait a minute oh yeah yeah it needs to be like like we're talking not just water resistant like waterproof i want to be able to take it underneath water how cool would that be yeah that'd be awesome that'd be awesome That'd be pretty cool. I mean, I would stop before requiring that. I think if it's if I can shoot with it in the rain, I'm fine. I don't need to actually take it scuba diving or anything like that. I mean, that's... Yeah, because then there are waterproof cases you can use. So that's not such a big problem. Exactly, exactly. Sure, okay, okay, yeah. fair enough, fair enough. I, I'm just dreaming. But basic, basic like rainproofing, yes, that would be that would be something that I would absolutely want. And unfortunately, none of our options offer this. So there you go. Which is so odd. Like, it makes no sense. Right. But I think most modern cameras will be fine under normal rain if it's not for like a super long time. Yep. If they don't get soaked, they're probably fine. Yeah, exactly. And companies don't, they don't advertise it because legally they would be in a very delicate position. But um, I believe technology is tough enough these days in terms of water resistance that you should be fine. Because it takes a lot of water to sip into the tiny little uh, space that these cameras uh, have exposed, you know. Because being a fixed lens camera, there's no opening on the, on where the lens mount would be. Yeah, it's more the ports that are vulnerable um, than than actual lens things. But the other side of it is, of course, uh, temperature and humidity. Um, you know, because you don't want your lens fogging up or anything like that. Um, oh, I thought they, there was going to be another check mark for the episode here coming up. Not yet. Nope. Uh, not yet. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, so that yeah, that's another factor that we we should definitely um, put out there as a general request. Whoever's going to be making our ideal camera, please make it reasonably weatherproof. Yeah, and, and attribute all of your ideas to us while you're at it. Yeah, that would be excellent. <laughs> it could be like the RX-1C Candid Edition. Oh, I would buy it. I'd buy 10 of them. Uh, well, uh, two of them for sure. Well, no, we'd have a sponsorship deal and we'd, we'd do giveaways, right? And of course, we would get two of each. Uh, all right. So, so. One for you and one for you. Yeah. <laughs> Sony would be all over that. 